Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy in Leadership podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. In this podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices on leading teams, creating and executing strategy, and fostering the culture within an organization that works. My guest today is Sean Hall, who is the principal of Apogee Public Relations and is also an instructor at the UBC Sauter School of Business in the Executive Education Program. Sean, how are you today? I'm doing real well. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. It's a subject we haven't touched on on the podcast yet. And it's really about communications, public relations, and just the core part of communicating what you're up to. And for our listeners, what they might not know is your role with TELUS as their national director of social and media relations. Basically, anytime they needed the big guns, they called you. So I'm very excited to have you share um, on today's podcast. So maybe I know I, I, I did a little bit of intro for you, but you can you tell our listeners a little bit about you, a little bit about your background and what keeps you busy? Yeah, yeah, you bet. I mean, my first career was uh, as, a, as a newspaper reporter. I was a newspaper uh, reporter and, and editor in uh, community newspapers for about 10 years uh, before branching out into to public relations. I, as you indicated, I, I spent 13 years at TELUS, uh, working my way through the, the media relations team there. I, I finished up as uh, the director of social and media relations uh, nationally responsible for issues and crises management. I left there, gosh, it's almost three years ago now, and uh, have gone out as a uh, consultant and uh, doing interesting work with uh, with some interesting clients. Cool. So in terms of that interesting work and mm. the work that you did, you know, in your past, what would you say the, the mix of it is between, you know, communications, PR training, crisis things? How, how does that break down for you in the past or, or you now as a company? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, what I specialize in is, is reputation management, ultimately. And, and helping organizations manage uh, communications, both proactive and, and reactive. So do a lot of media training, but also training on, uh, on messaging, workshopping, on uh, helping organizations through complex change. Uh, do a lot of work in, in managing complex ongoing issues, as well as in, in crises. And uh, crises and, and issue are certainly related but crises tends to be one of those niggly things that goes on and on and on, and, and a crisis is, uh, sorry, an issue is, and a crisis is something unexpected that happens suddenly. So work in both those areas as well. Perfect. So do a lot of, um, do a lot of writing, op-eds, uh, opinion pieces, influencer stuff, and into social media as well, same kinds of areas. Absolutely. So, I mean, going into, I know, like, obviously, the op-ed part, which you just talked about, is really being able mm-hmm. to share your perspective and share the perspective of, you know, somebody who is influential. And then as yep. we tie that into the complex change piece for senior leaders who are trying to navigate complex change in their organization, what would be some of the, you know, the two or three best practices that you would share in order to maximize sort of the opportunity of that type of change and the opportunity of that kind of communication. Sure. So change management is, is really about communicating a change to your key audiences. And one of the things that I think can be challenging for, for a senior leader is to understand how people are going to respond to change emotionally. You'll have people internally, um, when you're going through a complex change, have a negative response even to, to positive change. It's very common. 
And we as organizations tend, when we're, when we're putting together communications around change, we tend to focus on the facts, um, which you certainly need in there, but you also want to recognize the emotional response that people are going to have to change and have communications that reflects that. Even just saying, hey, we know that this is, uh, is going to be challenging in some areas. We know that there's going to be some loss, but we're, what we're going to is, is necessary. So bringing people to an understanding of, of why the change is happening and why that change is necessary, understanding the emotional response that people are going to have to that, and then past that, really getting into the facts of it and the, and the nitty-gritty of it. And any change that you're communicating, you're going to have someone who misreads what you're saying, no matter how clear you are, and you're going to have people who uh, rumor monger or people who spread misinformation intentionally or otherwise, and, and having processes in place to manage that, right? Well, we, you know, I hear sometimes we always sent an email out about that, and that was clear. Why do we now need to also have, go out and have meetings with folks? You know, the, the initial email was read, was circulated. People may have misinterpreted stuff. You want to go out and have that next round of meetings, gather input from people, share the emotional response, get folks through that, uh, through that change. It's, um, it's not, a, not dissimilar from a crisis. You had a crisis that happened. Um, absolutely communicating the information and the facts about that is, is critically important, but also recognizing the emotional response that people are going to have to that. Mm-hmm. If they've had friends that are involved who are affected by it in the workplace, taking those types of things into account can be the difference between a successful um, communications effort and a disaster. You know, in terms of our audience and you know clients at SME Strategy, we deal with a lot of uh, professional associations. And as far as I understand, you know, you write a lot of things for those type of organizations. If we just spoke to that audience, anything that you found the same, like what are the key ingredients to these successful communications? We definitely talked about the communicating the why as well as the facts, so as well as the emotion. And then I heard a couple yeah, things about the channels. Absolutely. Well, and understanding who your audience is as well can be a real challenge. Uh, you know, if you're a professional association, understanding the, the people that you're reaching out to, how they will best take information. I mean, if you go back to my, my time at TELUS, a 44,000-person operation with, with people around the world and a very diverse organization in terms of the job functions that people are doing. So you have technicians who are out in the field. You have technicians who are in, at racks who are working inside buildings um, at, at racks of equipment uh, inside all day. You have uh, call center agents. Then you have your management folks who manage those teams. Then you've got your professionals. You have your, your accountants, your lawyers, you have your investor relations folks, your finance folks, etc. And you, all, you need to get the same message, the same information out to all of those people and be consistent, but you're going to need to do that in a different way. And you, you, you see the negative impact of communicating different messages to different audiences, there's all sorts of uh, examples that we could look to uh, out there. Remember a couple of years ago, United Airlines had that, uh, that incident, and we still talk about it, where, where a passenger was, was, dragged off the, um, was dragged off the plane. And afterwards, you had the CEO come out and, and, um, and, and present some information in public via the media that ended up being uh, wrong, ended up being inaccurate. And the information that they were communicating internally was very much defensive and very, very different. Well, the first thing that happened when they communicated uh, internally uh, a memo was it was leaked. 
the media, of course, looked at that and held up the two documents side by side, what was being said in the media externally, what was being said internally, and how different they were. And, and that became an actual uh, day's worth of story. So consistency is important. Um, attention to emotional response is important. Attention to how people best receive information is important. Are they at their desks all day in front of the computer? Or are they out in the field all day? Would an in-person meeting be best? Would uh, video work best? You didn't want to consider what you're doing in social media and making sure that's consistent. Uh, when you're in a crisis, the worst thing you want to do in social media is continue to put out your marketing and, and, and PR messages that have been programmed for the last week in your social media channels uh, while you're trying to grapple with, uh, with a visible crisis. So having processes in place to account for all of those channels to account for the different ways that people need to be communicated with important. Do you see, and you, you touched on that a, a little bit there, you know, a drastic difference in terms of communication in terms of good times, like if you're communicating a good message versus a bad message, then we could probably look at a bad message between a crisis and an issue. But, you know, are there sure. big, big distinctions between those three areas? Absolutely, there are. Um, and how you're communicating there. And you want to factor that in. In the end, though, uh, you always want to factor in the emotional response. People have an emotional response to marketing messages, to advertising, to, to media messages, whether positive or negative and the like. So we tend to go to facts when we're communicating. And I think that's important. But you also want to factor in that emotional response people are going to have. And in a crisis or in a complex issue, it's really important to have a plan and to, to understand how you are going to manage through that process and make sure that your response is, is right-sized, mm-hmm. not over, overreacting. Overreacting in a crisis can be just as damaging as underreacting. It can erode credibility. It can get people hyped up, cause unnecessary drama, which has impacts in the workplace and the like. So having a, a way to make sure that you're effectively researching what's happening uh, in a crisis and, and responding effectively after that, making sure that the right people are informed, that you have practices and, and processes in place for those types of things is, is really important. And it doesn't need to be complex. And in, in fact, it shouldn't be complex. So, I mean, one of the things you talked about was the appropriate, like the right sizing of communication and then, you know, Mm -hmm. in the social media. And one of the things that you are taking on is, you know, doing your executive education through UBC about social media best practices. So I know I'm a millennial. You guys might not believe it, but I'm a millennial and we use social media for a lot of things. I'll say I'm, I'm 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 a good bridge between millennial and Gen X, but there's, I believe, a lot of senior leaders there who might not uh, either embrace it fully or understand the impact of it. And there is on one hand, you know, hiring people to do the job, but I believe it's important to at least have a base understanding of, you know, how to structure it and the type of guidance that you want from a corporate communication standpoint to be sort of cascaded out there. So are there some, you know, some best practices, obviously you want to take the course, but there's some best practices that you would share for those type of executives so they can master and craft effective social messages, social media messages, policies, and basically procedures for that. Well, sure. And, you know, if you're on the board of, of directors of an organization or a senior leader, you want to understand what your organization's doing in social media and also what your goals are. Good communications programs all flow back to a goal. What are you trying to accomplish here? What is your goal? And one of the key dynamics that you see in organizations, especially as they grow 
and grow in size and sophistication is conflict around who has the password to your Twitter account. You will see multiple segments of your organization uh, really thinking that, that they are the primary uh, driver or should be the primary driver in, in social media and, and, and looking at the channels. You know, you got Twitter, you got LinkedIn, you got Facebook, Instagram, and the like. And so you'll have public relations, marketing, advertising, all really wanting to be the primary player in social media. Um, you'll have human resources wanting to look at social media as a, uh, as a recruitment tool. And, and importantly, especially if you're a consumer-facing organization, there's going to be a demand or there should be a demand to be in social media as a customer service uh, channel. Uh, because if you're a retailer, if you're a service provider to consumers as opposed to business to business, people are going to be talking about your business some way, somehow in social media. So having some sort of process to make sure that you understand what your overriding goals in social media are and structure your approach effectively to that and then go from there is really important. A lot of organizations struggle with that and end up with a suboptimal approach in social media where maybe the, the wrong priorities are being pursued for that organization where I've seen crises hit an organization where people have been complaining about something for days in social media before the organization is aware of it because they're not monitoring what's happening in social media. They're just broadcasting and just putting out their marketing messages, just putting out their advertising messages. They're pre-programmed and off they go. And nobody's actually watching what's coming back. Um, watching what's coming back, monitoring in social media, again, especially if you're consumer-facing or working in a visible industry where there could be controversy, is really important. And it's not a big investment to get that done, but if your only focus in social media is marketing and advertising, you're not going to be doing that. So balancing that out, making sure that you have the right goals in social media that you're pursuing, that you have the right people engaged and that you're, you're, you're not just broadcasting, but you're also monitoring, you're keeping tabs on what people are saying about your organization can save you a lot of grief. <clears throat> and one of the, I mean, you want to have some sort of social media policy. You can run into a couple of things in social media, and this is true whether you're, you're a business or an association, is people will be scared of it and not be in social media at all, or people will be careless in social media or overly aggressive in social media. And having some sort of policy that clarifies that can help bring people to that middle point where you want them, which is passionate but thoughtful advocates for your organization in social media, where they're watching what's being said, where they're reading articles, where they're making sure that responses are happening where they should or engaging in dialogue themselves directly as appropriate. It shouldn't be a difficult one to read through and get um, as brief as possible is always good, is, is important. Hmm, absolutely. Um, so to sort of paraphrase that, you know, making sure that there is a tie-in into the corporate strategy with the actual social media policy within it internally as well. Absolutely. You're, you're a business-to-business service provider working in a potentially controversial area. Maybe you're providing uh, some sort of, of chemicals or maybe you're providing some sort of software or something like that. Monitoring what's happening in that industry in social media so that your, your social media work can be responsive to that is important. So general monitoring in your industry is important. Monitoring about your company specifically is critically important. And 
If you're a consumer-facing organization, that becomes even more important. You want to be monitoring what people are saying about your organization. I was in such and such store, and the service was god-awful, or the service was tremendous. You want to know both of those things. So li- listening as well as speaking, if not listening more than speaking, yeah. especially if you're in a consumer-facing brand. I would say listening is the most important thing in social media. You know, watching what people are saying and then engaging and being able to be responsive to that, as well as putting your own messages out and and understanding why people are following your channels and engaging with your channels is important. If you're a professional organization and and there's a whole lot of, of people following your social media channels who are members of your association, that should influence your what you're putting out there. And you know, should you be an information channel? Should you be a, uh, an advocacy channel? Should you be a, um, a channel to monitor and receive complaints or concerns that are being raised? Those types of things are, are important. Again, a lot of that's an emotional response, right? If someone's out there tweeting at you or sending Facebook messages your way and you're simply not responding, what, what kind of emotional response is someone going to have to that? It's going to be negative. I was just saying, especially in the in the type of world that we're in right now, and so you know, bring me back to there might be some middle managers here, might be some people who are responsible for like on the communication teams. But even if you're a CEO or a board of director, like you need to really be aware of the impact and the leverage you can accomplish by using social media effectively and having it tied into the corporate strategy. And I was talking to somebody who dealing with a multi million dollar product launch, and they are mm-hmm. moving away from print materials so then they can focus more on amplifying social media. Now, sure. the joy, as I would interpret it, but you're saying, Sean, you can either amplify the good stuff or you miss out on an opportunity or if the bad stuff get amplified because you don't get out in front of it fast enough, there's an opportunity and a challenge that arises from the same thing. Yeah. And you certainly want to be out there and, and doing that engagement for sure. And someone has something to say, engaging them in a conversation, other people are seeing that conversation, they're getting informed, they're seeing you be responsive, that leaves a positive taste in people's mouths. And also, a lot of the work that I do is, is in crises planning and, and management. And, and one of the most effective ways, or the most effective way to manage a crisis is to avoid it in the first place. If you are listening, uh, you have a way for team members to capture comments from suppliers and customers to bring them into the organization, criticisms, complaints about potential issues, and have a culture in the organization where people who bring that stuff in aren't punished for it. You see that a lot. You're going to be way better off. You're, you're launching a multi-million dollar product line, but key issues are being raised by a supplier that probably needs to be known. I mean, think about, think about the Lululemon issue with the see-through, see-through stretch pants. Surely someone inside the organization knew that was happening, right? Surely your people who were working in the stores who were selling these, these pants knew that there were these issues existing, but it appears, you know, it went on for quite a while before it hit. And when it hit, it hit hard and it hit in media, probably could have been avoided if there was a mechanism in place to make sure that that information was being fed into the organization, right? So really making sure that that is the, the, within the culture of transparency, openness, communication, you know, at yeah. whatever level, at all levels. That's right. I mean, there are some, yeah, there are some crises and issues you simply cannot avoid that are, that are found either fundamental to your organization or just happen. You can't control things like natural disasters and pandemics, for example. They are, by definition, a crisis for your organization, and you want to be prepared 
prepared to respond to those, you can't stop them. Oftentimes, though, more reputational crises can be avoided or responded to in a more, in a more effective way. Mm. And again, you think about the United Airlines piece from a couple of years ago with, uh, with someone being dragged off the plane. And what policies and practices were in place that allowed that to happen? Mm-hmm. That, that, was, that was a self-inflicted crisis. Yeah, absolutely. But a crisis nonetheless. But a crisis um, nonetheless. That really had a fundamental impact on that organization. You look at Nike as, as another example. I mean, there was a time uh, when you and I were younger when Nike was the shoe and everybody needed to have a pair of Nikes. Remember that? And uh, then it came out that, that Nike was manufacturing its, uh, its shoes in offshore uh, facilities where people were being paid slave wages and there was all sorts of problems. And they absolutely handled that crisis well, but it really took away their standing as the shoe company and made them a shoe company. And I wonder what kind of impact that's having today. And so there can also be slippage between a company's stated brand and the business operational decisions that get into place where people are, you're cutting corners, you're, you're making um, economic decisions that are perhaps inconsistent with your stated brand. And as you get a divergence between your stated and actual brand as a result, you're opening up vulnerabilities or reputational crises that can happen. And I think it behooves an organization to have someone on board who understands the potential impact of that and can make sure that those decisions are being informed by not just the economic, immediate, short-term economic impacts of it, but also the potential reputational uh, issues. You may well decide to carry on with the, the decision, but then you're doing it in a better informed way and can plan for any potential negative downsides of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah, being proactive in terms of recognizing any gaps in expectations so you don't leave yourself vulnerable because then you're reacting to these challenges. And if you're going to stick with that course, and there's nothing wrong with it, that you are at yeah. least aware and that you are prepared for it. So that's um, right. And having that unpopular person in the room who says, well, you know, our stated brand says that we are this, but you know, if we're going to be shipping, uh, going offshore and having things manufactured by people who are paid 10 cents a day, uh, that's not consistent with our brand that could come back to us and at least have that conversation mm-hmm. and, 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 and bring that out and make, make a decision that's consistent with brand. You can avoid those crises and those long-term issues with that thoughtful approach. And so I think it's important too that senior folks in an organization have impartial advisors who will get, shoot them the straight goods. I'm a one-person operation now uh, running a PR consultancy. I have an informal board of directors, people who will tell me when I'm off track on something, people who will give it to me straight. You know, politicians have informal boards of directors, people that they can, they can call who will tell them, ah, that's a stupid policy and this is why, because we, we all exist in sort of an echo chamber and we all imbue what we're working on with unreasonable import. None of us have a perfect objective view of, of, of ourselves and, and our approach on things. So having people from outside who can make sure that you're, you're staying in the bounds there is really important. Larger organization, that can be your formal board of directors. It could be a publicly traded corporation. It could be a business coach. You know, it could be a, your PR director, your PR consultant. It could be that buddy from university that you play racquetball with who's uh, going to say to you, nah, you're full of it on this one, pal. <laughs> but <laughs> but being ready and able to listen to those folks and open to being objective is important. I mean, one of the things you see in a crisis too is 
if you're emotionally invested in an organization yourself, it's hard to maintain that objectivity. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can have a, uh, an emotional and defensive response. And that ends up resulting in, in coming off as defensive, moving too slow, or uh, going out with information that isn't accurate. So it sounds like me, if like on one hand, organizations communicating outwardly need to communicate the why as well as the facts. And then even internally need to make sure that you have people that are willing to communicate the why as well as the facts so you can sort of check yourself throughout the process. Well, that's right. And, and having a culture internally where uh, the people who are making those, those tough comments and asking the tough questions aren't punished for it but they're rewarded for it in the sense of being appreciated for the courage and the effort that that takes uh, is, is important. It's hard to do, but, uh, but it's important. You see in, in crises over and over again when something happens in an organization, uh, you have a defensive statement that goes out, or, or um, you, you, the classic is you, you have someone from a TV station who pushes through the front door because you've been declining interviews and you've got a receptionist or someone who meets them in the office, who's sticking their hand up in the camera and, and having that kind of emotional response, well, it plays terribly. You know, there's always a better way than that. So that's going to bring me to our, our, our last question here, Sean, just as we wrap up. One of the things that you, you we had talked about previously was the types of media training that you do to prepare CEOs, executives, and even staff for those mm-hmm. type of moments. Can we take the last, you know, like minute or two and talk about some of the sort of best practices or what you run people through in that process so that they're not caught off guard by those moments if they ever arise? Yeah, you bet. I mean, one of the things you want to do as an organization, if there's any potential uh, to have a crisis, is you want to have a crisis plan. You want to know how you're going to respond in a crisis. Who's going to be responsible for managing that crisis. When something comes in, how are you going to make sure that the right people in your organization, your senior leadership, your operational teams that need to know about that, know about it? What's your process for informing people? What's your process for ensuring that you have, are doing your research and that you really know what's happening and are asking those tough questions? You know, Do you know that the cable's cut or do you think that the cable's cut? Those types of, of questions are, are hard to ask, but they're important. And then how you're going to respond and who your audiences are. In a privacy breach, the first thing that we tend to do is think about how we're going to respond to this in, in media, when in actual fact, oftentimes the most important thing is how do you communicate with your customers who are affected by this privacy breach effectively? And then how do you report internally? So yeah, that's what I talk about is, is informing, research, respond, and report. And in terms of, of media training, if there's any risk of things getting to media, having a, a, a couple of people in your organization trained and ready to respond in media ahead of times is not a bad idea. So uh, a lot of public relations consultants will offer a half-day course where you sit down, you go through the basics of media, you talk about the fundamentals of how to respond in media and what that looks like, and oftentimes we'll go on camera, work on some scenarios and that kind of thing. And one of the key things is Senior people in organizations tend to have too much knowledge. They've got the curse of too much knowledge, which is a great blessing as well. But if you're going into a TV interview, they're going to put together a story that's no more than 80 seconds long. That's it. And you might be there for 15 or 20 seconds. So how do you make sure that you have a 15 or 20 second clip that really effectively communicates what's going on, the key information that your view, the viewers of that, that clip need to know? That can be tricky, 
And having a sense of how to do that is important. Even just having someone in your back pocket who's good at this stuff that you can call in a crisis to make sure that you're, you're managing it effectively can be the difference maker. Also, so making sure that while people are prepared, understanding that there's a structure in place and then, you know, putting people in those types of scenarios that they can not have the, I mean, tying it back to what you said before, so that yeah. there, you minimize that emotional response so that the communication you actually want to deliver gets delivered. Yeah, absolutely. And recognize the emotional response as well. Emotional responses are going to happen. You're going to have one. They're going to have one through that. And make sure that the the approach that you're taking is right for your organization. I I Googled ahead of this uh, and I found there's a mining association crises template that runs for 114 pages and has a seven-step response process on page 17 of that plan. And it's really designed for a major mining disaster, you know, a collapse or something like that. And probably in those situations is the right plan for that. However, most organizations don't need a 114-page crises plan. You may just need the phone number of someone who can help you through it. You may need a one- or two-page plan of, of just who to call. Your CEO, your marketing manager, your PR manager are all on a plane. and something happens, who's standing in for them? Who has authority to approve response? Who has the authority to approve what messaging is and, and to go and speak? Who do you tap into to make sure that you have all those information? A list of potential audiences. Because in a crisis, you know, the animal brain takes over. We get into a fight or flight kind of response mode. Very, very easy just to skip fundamental stuff because you're in that, that kind of response. You write it down in a list. You're not going to forget it because you survey that list. You go through it, and that makes sure that you're, uh, you're right on top of it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all of that. So much information as it relates to just communications, top down, outside, inside, and how to manage, you know, potential challenges, crises that come your way. Where can uh, people get a hold of you if they want to ask you more questions or, or work with you in the future? Oh, I'm always happy to field questions. Um, apogeepr.ca is my uh, website. I'm also easy to find on Google. Um, if you just Google me up, Sean is S-H-A-W-N. Paul, H-A-L-L, and my uh, LinkedIn profile and website pop right up. That's awesome. Thank you, Sean. It's been such a pleasure uh, chatting with you today. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. It's always, uh, it's always good talking to you. My guest today has been Sean Hall, who is the principal at Apogee Public Relations. If you have somebody in your network that you know that might be dealing with crises communication in the future, hopefully not, uh, be sure to uh, send them this podcast, give it a share in your network, because I think the world needs a better communication more than ever. Um, and if you enjoyed today's episode, please sure, be sure to like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, or whatever podcast service that you use. Uh, My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and I look forward to sharing with you next time. If you're getting ready to lead the strategic planning process yourself, be sure to check out our Strategic Planning Toolkit. It has video walkthroughs to guide you through each step in the planning process from vision to action planning. We'll also have workbooks and downloads to document your plan and best practices to help get your team bought in so the plan gets executed successfully. You can get instant access to all the tools, all the templates, and all the downloads at smestrategy.net slash course.